Entrepreneur Weekly interviews the brilliant leaders of today in order to provide a stepping stone of wisdom on the journey to personal business ownership. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Well, our first guest says, win all day. I like that. I like to win. Okay, let's get going. His name is Jonathan Canelli, Coach JC. Because who can remember the name Canelli after all, you know? Anyway. <laughs> Coach JC, all right. So, all right. So you and I have a mutual friend, Randy Garn, who's, who, who brings me about half of my guests, literally. I don't know how he gets away with it, but it's probably because I stay at his house about once a month. But... Uh, so I have a question, though, because last night I was given a talk to a group of people. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show. I should have said that. Coach JC. Um, Thank you, Alan. Honored yes. and grateful to be here. All right. I was giving a talk and I, I thought of something and I was like, when did I have the aha moment in my life? I'm 62 years old. Just last week was my birthday. 62 years old. And I was thinking, when did I have the aha moment where I understood business? And I was thinking, well, was it when I had my, like, my, uh, my lemonade stand when I was like six and a cop pulled up on a motorcycle in uh, Inglewood, California, where I was living at the time, where my family was living? And a, a motorcycle cop pulls up. I ran in the house thinking I'm a criminal. I don't have a business license. You know, I ran in the house and got my mom. I go, I'm going to get arrested, mom. There's a cop out there. No, it wasn't that because he just wanted a cup of lemonade, right? But I remember that was like my first business, a lemonade stand. And I was thinking, so no, that wasn't it. But I, I, I kind of thought about business a little bit at six. Then I got my, uh, my paper route at about uh, 12, and you know the, the collections process of you have to go knock on doors and collect the three bucks or whatever it was at the time, 1972. Yeah. That was 50 years ago. And it wasn't that because I screwed that up altogether completely bad. And I was thinking, when was it when I had my aha moment? You know what it was, which is very odd? It was when I lost everything. And I went, I'm such an idiot because I don't listen to people. I'm such an arrogant idiot. And I, I literally started yelling at myself in my own head. So my question wow. for you is, is the aha moment where we finally can start to grow as an adult, as a professional? Because you can look professional. You can sound professional. You can you know, momentarily actually maybe accidentally be professional. But then all of a sudden you do something stupid again and the whole thing blows up in your face. So the question is, is that aha moment and when we actually have the tipping point in our business life, is it when we fail because we finally come clean with our own selves? What do you think, Coach JC? Man, that is a great question. First of all, Alan, thanks for having me and happy birthday. But I absolutely, for me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but a lot of entrepreneurs that I've been blessed to do business with and, and interact with. And I feel like a lot of us have had that moment in time, you know, where we hit rock bottom, we had an aha moment, and it was a time of breakthrough, right? Where maybe we're the time where you reevaluate your life, you rediscover your purpose. And for me, it was at that most painful time, Alan, that became my purpose. 
when I realized that, you know, life's not really what a, we've heard this before, but life's really not what happens to you. It's how you respond. And so I think we all have that moment. I like to call it a breakthrough moment where you all of a sudden realize maybe life wasn't going to look exactly how I thought it was going to look, but we make a decision at that moment to create a new story, to throw the lids off of our life and absolutely to create a breakthrough so that we could be who we were called to be. And so me personally, I had that moment just like you. And that actually was what propelled my entrepreneurship career. So I do believe a lot of entrepreneurs have that moment. I'm telling you, I believe that we have to come clean with ourselves. We'll take a break and we're going to come back with more of Coach JC. Uh, You can look him up during the commercial break, www.coachjc.com. And uh, this is Entrepreneur Weekly. Don't go anywhere. Sweet, but blood is thicker. The sky comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Well, you're listening to Entrepreneur Weekly, Entrepreneur Magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our website, entrepreneur.com. And you can find more of this radio show, this radio show that turns into a podcast after it's over, and many other great podcasts and content at entrepreneur.com. Our guest right now is Coach JC, and um, man, author of six books. I'm going to have to get the names of all these books. Uh, he was a Trump hype man. Let me just read this for a second. Author six books motivated audiences of all sizes through his professional speaking, including opening up for President Donald Trump during his presidential campaign and being coined Trump's hype man. But this was all because of your work with first responders and a nonprofit. I salute you for that. I think that anybody that uh, is paying the price for gasoline and diesel right now or heating oil for their homes probably miss old Donald right about now. Teflon Don, you know. This guy that's in there right now, Uh, yikes, what's going on over there? But anyway, you know, listen, political stuff is, is, it sucks in business because no matter what, everybody's got to vote for somebody at some point, because if you don't vote, then you get the other guy, if you know what I mean. So, um, but anyway, listen, I personally, I think that you have a, a, a certain amount of courage to put this kind of stuff out there in the world because so many people are afraid to really, truly let the world know what they truly believe in. And uh, you got to believe in yourself first. And because you're going to go through hell. When, you know what they say. When you're going through hell, keep going. And you and I both have done that, JC. So um, Absolutely. can you give me the names of your books real quick? Six books. Wow. Well, yeah, I wrote. A, I actually wrote a book series called Win All Day. That's the national brand. Ah. The first one was, yeah, yeah. The first one was Body Transformation. The second one was how to win as an entrepreneur and have success in that realm. And the the third one was win all day for athletes. I've been blessed to work with some of the top pro athletes in our country. And then the the fourth one was uh, win all day personal branding, how to create your purpose-driven, highly profitable personal brand. I then wrote a book called Fit for Duty, Fit for Life for our finest and bravest military and our first responders that serve our great country. And then I wrote the playbook for your life. I realized oh my that one of the things, one of the things I realized a lot of people go into life, Alan, every single day without a playbook, no organization, no successful team just goes out and does whatever they want. They have a playbook. And when I realized a lot of people were not running the right place for life, I put together a playbook, which is a 90 day leather bound playbook. 
so that you can absolutely build a life that you were born to live. And so those are my six books, man. That is awesome. Okay. I'm also seeing here that you've launched five companies within the personal development, fitness, and coaching arena. Been recognized as 30 under 30, 40 under 40, and best of the best, and the Young Entrepreneur of the Year. My gosh, you started a nonprofit, first responder, serving now over 4,000 first responders from over 178 first responding agencies. That is fantastic. So my question is, so we hit this point in our life where we just go, oh my God, I am so tired of being the same big dummy that I've been, and I'm not getting ahead. I'm doing the same thing, the definition of insanity, over and over again and expecting a different outcome. I want to be different. I want to be better. I want to win all day. Does somebody come to coachjc.com and hire you, or do you have a team, or what's the story? Man, that's a great question. Yes, that's what we do for a living. And what you said is this story many times. There's a lot of, I work with a lot of men especially, but there's people that hope and wish their entire life, Alan, to live a life of having it all, right? We could say success or winning, whatever that is, health, wealth, relationships. I want the body. I want to make the money. I want to have more impact, whatever it might be. But you know what? A lot, very few people actually live that life. And so when I discovered after hitting rock bottom how to create that life and have it all, I create a playbook on it. And so we help people build uh-huh. the winner that's through personal development who they need to be and become so that then we can build the life that they desire to live. And we do that through, yes, group coaching online. Mm. We do it through one-on-one coaching, but we also do it through mastermind groups. And of course I speak and I have the books. And so we do have an amazing coaching program called the Winner Circle, where we put people through the five, the winning five key focused things that you need to focus on every single day to absolutely build you and build your winning life. And so, yeah, we do it virtual. We do it remotely. We have people from all over the country. Our headquarters is in the great state of Oklahoma. We're in Tulsa, Oklahoma right wow. now. Wow. Wow. And I can tell by the twang in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, this is a Jersey boy. This is a Jersey boy ended up in Oklahoma. Talk about culture shock. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> okay. I want you to, in the next segment, if you would, you know, look at this is the, uh, the segment. The last segment that we do with you is where you become, and you are a coach, you become Coach JC. And help folks that are listening all around the world to this radio show because of entrepreneur, the brand and the magazine and everything that entrepreneur does. People come to entrepreneur to find people like you that can help them get to that place where they have that, you know, purpose driven, passion filled and highly profitable business. So we'll take a little break. We'll come back and um, you're going to, you're going to act like we're in one of your classes. Uh, Coachjc.com. Real easy. Jonathan Canelli is his real name, but Coach JC is how you know him. Win all day, and that's what I want to do. And if you want to do it too, stay with us. We'll be right back. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain Listening to Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Well, Coach JC joining us, and uh, this man has, he's like the comeback kid. He went from hitting rock bottom, suicidal, 
fighting to be a father, over $400,000 in debt, to creating a completely new story for his life and discovering how to win. And he has a new series called Win All Day. And uh, thank you for joining us. And, and listen, this is your time now. You're going to share a, a one slice of the pie, but we want to know what the whole pie tastes like in case somebody wants to go to one of your uh, coaching or, you know, join the coaching world that you're in there, coachjc.com. So you got about five minutes here. Walk us through these five W's to win that you talk about. Absolutely, Alan. So here's my belief, Alan. I believe that every single person on this earth was created to win, can win, and should be winning. I, as a former athlete and coach, I discovered, Alan, that a lot of people go into life every single day, like we talked about in the last segment, without a playbook. And if you look at successful teams, they have three things in common. Number one is they have a coach. Number two is they have a playbook. And number three is they put themselves on a winning team. And so you mentioned my name earlier, Alan, Jonathan Keneally. One of the reasons I don't go by that is I cut ties with that guy and I created Coach JC. And I believe that the only thing keeping you from winning right now, if you're listening and you want to win more, you want to be more, you want to achieve more, it really winning might be getting whatever it really is you want, is the story that we tell ourselves. And so I discovered when I hit rock bottom, Alan, that if I just started to ask myself maybe a few different questions, that maybe I could get a different answer. And when I did, based around these winning five, my entire life changed. And so the first question I asked myself was, what do you really want? What do you really want? You hate who you are right now. Life doesn't look like you when you want it to. You're in a custody battle. And if you're listening right now and life doesn't look like what you want it to look like, when's the last time you looked in the mirror and asked yourself the question, what do I want? What does winning look like for you? If you don't know what you want, you'll never get it. Do you know how many people I talk to, Alan, that go through a day not knowing what they want? I'm talking about vision, Alan. I'm talking about vision. Helen Keller said it best. What's worse than being born blind? having sight with no vision. And I'm not talking about what you see when your eyes are open, right? So many times we get moved by what we see in the natural, what our business looks like, what our marriage looks like, what our financial situation looks like. If that's all you'll see, the, the, the obstacles, the storm, the trial, you'll get stuck. And so I learned how to create a vision beyond what I could see in the natural. And so I think there's people listening right now, the first question is, what do you want? What are you seeing every single day? Write the vision and make it plain. You gotta start to see today what you can do that you've never done. You got to start to see where you can go that you've never gone, and you got to start to see who you can be that you've never been. If you really want to win, the first question you got to ask yourself is, "What do I want?" And you need to go into the day every single day with vision. It takes vision for you to win. The second question, Alan, is why the greatest the greatest force in life is a soul on fire, life on purpose. And I think so many people go through life just existing. They go through life on cruise control. Too many people are sleepwalking through life with no purpose. A purpose is what brings life, right? A purpose is what brings a different energy. So the, the second question is why? The greatest power in life is a soul on fire. And I think so many people just sleepwalk through life, Alan, right? And you've got to be able to ask yourself and answer the question, why do I exist? Why do I want what I want? And I think so many people never create a strong enough purpose to win. And I'm not just talking about good ideas. I'm talking about a strong reason. And, and, and so a purpose for me, when I discovered my purpose and why I exist and why I do what I do, that's when I was able to make what was in front of me stronger than what was behind me. That's when I was able to make what, what, you know, what was inside of me and the calling bigger than what was outside of me. That's when I was able to make what I wanted and what I desired, my vision greater than the greatest excuses. So you've got to have strong reasons. And the second question after you know what you want a vision is why do I want it? Once I knew what I wanted vision and I knew why I wanted it, purpose, I then asked a the powerful question is who am I and who do I need to become? 
right? And I think so many times we get so caught up negotiating with who we are, right? Something that somebody told us when we were younger, something that happened to us, maybe the rejection, the past mistake, like me going through a divorce, a custody battle. And if we're not careful, those things can define us and we end up in this identity crisis. The number one enemy of success and winning is self-doubt. So low self-esteem leads to low self-image and people don't win that way. And so I think this is the third question after you know what you want vision and you know why you want it is every single day you gotta choose what you're gonna believe about you. And I started to create these crazy over the top winning confessions, I am statements. You see the greatest opponent in our life, Alan, is us. You know who trash talks us the most? We do. And I started to tell myself, hold on, you're here on purpose, you have a purpose. I am strong, I am passionate. I am fearless. I choose faith. I can win. I will win. I, I, I will. So I think the third question is, who are you and who do you need to become in order to make the vision a reality, to make that purpose a reality? And those three questions, once I solidified what those were, Alan, I then learned that the fourth question was, how do I create the winning mindset? I believe every action originates in the mind. Every action originates with a thought. Oh and I God. started to create this formula, the winning mindset. All right, hold it, hold it, hold it. Yep. You are on fire. And that what a great place to tell people, you know what? You got to go check out CoachJC.com. Listen to this guy. This is the reality. What do you really want out of life? You got to write down a vision. You got to see the vision. You got to have a why, a purpose. What is your purpose? What is the reason why your purpose is what it is? Stop negotiating with yourself. What are you going to believe about yourself? Why are you negotiating with yourself? Oh, my God. All of this and more with Coach JC. I get it. Now I understand why Randy said you got to have this guy on your show. Uh, unfortunately, I got to say goodbye because I got somebody else on the line that's going, hey, your next guest is on. Coach JC, you come back again. This is too good to stop here, but we got to. Um, let's, let's do an event together. Let's have some fun together. This is amazing stuff. Check out CoachJC.com. It's Entrepreneur Weekly. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Alan Taylor from Entrepreneur Weekly. Child sexual exploitation is an unimaginable crime that continues to invade our communities and homes. The Maloof Foundation is confronting this crime by providing education, promoting healing, and ensuring justice for survivors. But this cause can't be won alone. Learn how you can join the Maloof Foundation in their efforts to preserve a child's right to freedom, hope, justice, and dignity at MaloofFoundation.org. That's M-A-L-O-U-F Foundation.org. Listening to Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Welcome, everyone, back to the second half of Entrepreneur Weekly radio program. I am Mike Etchard. I am happy to take the baton from Alan Taylor for uh, this second half of the show. And the reason that I am taking said baton is because I am at the NAM show here in Anaheim, California. The NAM show was started back in about 1901. And when that NAM show started, there was a company called Martin Guitars that actually had already had been in business for almost 80 years. They continue to be in business and in fact are still family run. And joining me right now is Chris Martin. 
Chris, you are executive chairman of Martin Guitars. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. So this is the Winter Nam show in the summer. That's correct. <laughs> as this, and up is down and down is yeah, up. Yep. Now, how many greats are you removed from C.F. Martin, your relative that yep, founded the yep. company in 1833? So I'm the sixth generation. Okay. There was C.F. Senior. Mm-hmm. Just CF original. Sure. Then he became senior when he had a kid, because then there was CF junior. For whatever reason, maybe it was getting confusing, the third generation was Frank. But then <laughs> the fourth the generation was CF, my grandfather. The fifth generation was Frank, my father. So I'm CF the fourth, but I'm the sixth generation. Gotcha. So does that make it five greats, I think? I, you know, four greats. Four probably. greats. Yeah, okay, yeah, that would three, make sense. I don't know. I don't know. That's right. It's confusing. But when you talk about having a family legacy yeah. like that, at some point along the way, did your ancestors go, you know... Maybe we should just take the money and run. Or was it always such a, a gem and such an important legacy that they just wanted to always hang on to it? The only thing that I can remember was going to a NAM show in Chicago. Mm-hmm. My parents were divorced, but I, you know, as I was growing up, I would occasionally you know, get exposed to the business. I can't remember how old I was, but my father was the president then, and my father said to me, he said, I'd like you to come to a meeting over at the CBS booth. This is when CBS mm-hmm. was investing in our business. Yes, lots Gemine of Hart Flutes. He might have owned Steinway. Fender Rhodes Pianos. Fender, yeah, right, Leslie right. Speakers. Yes. And, and so I, I said to my dad, I said, well, why are we going over there? He said, because they have been having conversations with me about selling them the Martin Guitar Company. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and we, my father and I weren't terribly close. And he said, what do you think? I said, I don't think that's a good idea. Mm. And he, he kind of winked at me. He said, I don't think it is either, but we need to go and have the courtesy meeting. So we went over, and honest to goodness, they had brought in like an office desk. And there's this older CBS executive sitting behind the office desk, and we do the perfunctory, you know, this is my son. And very quickly, my dad says, my son and I have decided the company's not for sale. Oh, that's <laughs> a great story. Yeah. How, ironically, however... Had we sold them the company and taken stock instead of cash, even though their investments in the music industry didn't work out, CBS as a company became wildly successful. So it's possible we could have sold the company, taken the stock, sold the appreciated stock, and bought the company back. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, and that happened to a couple of the companies that CBS bought in those days. Fender Musical Instruments, for one. Well, when... uh, Mr. Schultz. Yes, Bill he, Schultz. Bill, what a, he was a mentor of mine. Oh. That you, you know, you knew Bill was like, okay, this brand needs a little polish, a little spit and polish, and you know, you got to give him a lot of credit. And this for, was the man who who came back and bought Fender right. out, out of yeah. well, it was CBS from CBS. Yeah, right, right. Wow. Yeah. Well, and 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 you know, as you were, I mean, you were fast approaching 200 years in business. Yeah. We're another decade or so away, and that's yeah. going to be 200 yeah. years. I mean, you must have had so many ups and downs oh, in yeah. those years. Oh, ridiculous. And yet you managed to to thrive and yep. continue to be here today. It's yep. remarkable. So the, the analogy I use, because people ask me about that, and I say, first of all, you know, what was working was working, so why would you do anything else until it stopped working? And then I said, it's kind of like, okay, now we're driving into a brick wall. And after a while, you might want to say, you know, maybe we should see if we can drive around the brick wall. <laughs> and so... For me, a real significant transition point that just kind of happened was from 1833 until, say, the teens, 1920s, all Martin guitars had gut strings Mm -hmm. because that's what you used on a guitar. 
Now, by the late 1800s, they were making metal strings, but the quality was very inconsistent. So right around, let's say, the late teens, early 20s, very quickly, we transitioned from gut to steel. <laughs> Why? Why did that... You know, I don't, I don't think they planned it. It just sort of happened. So I was having dinner with George Gruen mm. in Nashville. Famous vintage guitar dealer. Yes. And George can take a while to get to the point. <laughs> but I'm having dinner. I've got no place to go. So I said, George, why do you think it was that so quickly the company transitioned from gut to steel strings? And I thought, all right, <laughs> give him 20 minutes. He's going to get to the punchline. He thought about it for a hot moment and said, Segovia. Segovia, and then he told me why he said Segovia. I'm like, huh, could be. My grandfather wanted me very badly to go to Princeton. He went to Princeton. His brother went to Princeton. He dragged me down there all the time. One time he said, we're going down to Princeton. I said, I know, Pop. And we're going to hear Andre Segovia perform, and we're going to meet him afterwards. Maybe well, the cool. greatest classical guitar player And of all I got time. to meet him. Now, I was young. He was very old. But I, so I came home from that show in Nashville after talking to George. I'm like, maybe. So I Googled Andre Segovia and sure enough, somewhere in the teens or the 20s, as a young virtuoso classical guitar player, he came to America and people were blown away. And they would ask him, Mr. Segovia, I too am an aspiring you know, guitar player. Any advice, sir? Any advice at all? Well, are you a genius? No. Okay, you're at a slight disadvantage to me. However, <laughs> If you practice, 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 and you must buy a fine Spanish guitar. His endorsement moved the market away from Martin. Right. But now, because of the banjo and the mandolin, the metal strings were more consistent. So, and I don't know why, we began to use metal strings on a guitar that was kind of set up like a classical. Mm -hmm. And then a gentleman named Perry Bechtel commissioned a guitar that he said, I want one of those metal string guitars, but I, because I'm a vaudeville banjo player, I want one with a neck that feels more like a banjo. Okay, and I need more access to the body. And he went, left, and my grandfather and his father, great-grandfather and my uncle were like, what can we do, what can we do? Well, we had been making arched-up guitars, and they had a longer neck. Mm -hmm. had 14 frets to the body, so okay. That may be the neck he wants. What do we do with the body? Because the body had this you know, upper bow that was very rounded to accommodate the 12th fret. And they basically just squared off the shoulders on a triple O, put the 14 fret neck on it, showed Mr. Bechtel, he goes, close enough, I'll take one. And we were like, that's what the guitar needs. You can't just put steel strings on a classical guitar. You have to make it a steel string guitar. Interesting. And there you go. Wow. Well, yeah. and we should also mention, if you're not a guitar player, you wouldn't know this, but the, what we consider to be a common acoustic guitar, the common shape is, is something called a dreadnought. Right. And that was a Martin innovation yes. back in the 1930s, yes. I believe. And that completely, I mean, yeah. every manufacturer, literally yes. every manufacturer. The most copied shape guitar in the yes. world. Yes. Yes. And what a remarkable thing. And that's the other thing about Martin guitars that... Certainly you have the longevity, but you also have the innovation. And, you know, that's, yep. that, is un, that, that is from the beginning, yep. that's been a hallmark so of the So we're, we're trying to piece, again, you know, there's books been, have been written about Martin, mm -hmm. but no one thought to interview my great-grandfather. Right. Right? You can interview me. We're doing that. So we're trying to, where did this dreadnought idea come from? So the story we believe to be true 
is that at that point in time, there was one very significant retailer that we did business with, the Ditson Company. Kind of, sort of like the guitar center of their day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were such good customers that they would commit to their model. Some of them were not just a Martin model with different um, cosmetic aspects. Some of them were actually a Ditson shape. Okay? So the story that we're, we're putting together, and we actually have two uh, modern examples here. There was a gentleman named Major Kilikai, classically trained, trained musician from Hawaii, had a, had a band, touring band, came to the, to the States to tour for two purposes, make a living, and also he was a bit of a, of a, a political rabble-rouser. And so when he was being interviewed, oh, Major Kilikai, we love your music, tell us about your guitar and your fellow musicians, and he'd say, can we talk about Hawaii? Ooh, sure. What do you want to talk about? Because I want to talk about Hawaii too. We got to take a quick commercial break. We are talking to Chris Martin about the fantastic Martin Guitar Company here at NAM. You're listening to Entrepreneur Weekly Radio. Stick around because we are coming right back. And we are back. We are talking with Chris Martin. It's Entrepreneur Weekly Radio. Chris Martin, of course, is the executive chairman of Martin Guitar, a newbie, a new company on the on the scene that it's only been around since 1833. We were talking about the origins of the dreadnought guitar. Let's talk about Hawaiian music sure. because at that time we're talking the 20s and the 30s. Yep. yep. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, was there some sort of a, one of the world's fairs happened, and that's where Hawaiian music was introduced. Yes, and the Pan Pacific Exposition. Yes, and that really got everybody excited. Supercharged, particularly the ukulele. Yes. That was the first really significant ukulele boom. We put an addition on the factory to accommodate the demand for ukuleles. And that was the first time the trend the first happened. First one, yeah. Then it, it, you know, then the, the Depression came, the war came, the Roaring Twenties went away. Yep. And we, then we focused on guitars. The ukulele came back briefly thanks to Arthur Godfrey oh, of in the 50s. Yeah. But then it kind of it went away again. We were doing some business, particularly with our Japanese distributor, say in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And they would keep ordering ukuleles. No one else wanted them. And then something happened with the ukulele. And someone that's a story in itself. And everyone's like, well, this isn't going to last. <laughs> this ukulele boom isn't going to last. And that was 10 years ago. <laughs> right. And here we are. Here you, we are. You can't walk a it's, show floor without it's seeing It's the gateway of... drug to guitar. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. In a good way. Yeah. So anyway, Major Kilikai mm-hmm. commissioned his own model with his own shape through Ditson. We built it. We have one here with Major Kilikai's idea of a bridge design. Could be good, could be bad. Yeah. <laughs> but we think that that was the impetus for Ditson and Martin to say, there's something there. There's something there. So then we built the Ditson Dreadnoughts. They weren't even Martins. Mm. The original ones were called Ditsons. They didn't sell very well because people were like, what on earth is that thing? It's huge. It's huge. And it's bass heavy. And then Ditson went bust during the Depression. We got rid of all the Ditson models, except for the Dreadnoughts. said, you know, let's keep that in the line. And it didn't sell very well until the country artists mm, discovered it. Right. And that's what they needed. They needed a big, powerful, loud, bassy acoustic guitar. 
because they were on stage, and of course, exactly. very few PA systems or right. weak PA systems. It was they, acoustic. They yeah, needed, there might have been a microphone, but yeah. there was no instrument amplification. So they needed yeah. that big, boomy thing. So yeah. I want to ask you about something, because when you're a company, an yep. entre, a family company yep. like this, there are things you can control, yep. and then sometimes there are things that just happen. Yeah. And so I did a long-time uh, career in the record business, okay. and I worked for Warner Brothers Reprise Records. And around 1990, uh, an upstart uh, artist by the name of Eric Clapton did something, uh, an unplugged show that was on MTV. And that album was monstrous. And Eric was playing some very unique vintage Martins. What did that do to Martin guitars? So let's go back to the folk boom. Uh My dad joins the business in 55, catches the folk boom, Greenwich Village, right? And we have to build a new factory. We can't make enough guitars at the old factory. We get the new factory up and running and folk music and rock and roll collide. So 50s, mid 50s, all through the 60s, all through the 70s, we couldn't make enough guitars. Well, unfortunately, by the late 1970s, thank you Eagles and (laughs) Yamaha DX7 and Disco, Mm -hmm. we could make more than enough Martin guitars. And so business dropped off quite dramatically. My father retired shortly thereafter, my grandfather passed away and I became CEO at a point in time when the company had gone from 23,000 guitars at its peak to 3,000. And my dad had made four acquisitions, only one of which was viable. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is it. It is what it is. And I said to my colleagues, I said, if it's 3,000 guitars, let's make sure they're good guitars. And it was like, okay. And then MTV Unplugged happened and the phone started to ring we got to take a quick commercial okay. break. We are right. talking to Chris Martin about the fantastic Martin Guitar Company here at NAM. You're listening to Entrepreneur Weekly Radio. Stick around because we are coming right back. Need a mentor? One-on-one online sessions with Entrepreneur Magazine's experts can help you start a business, grow your business, build your brand, fundraise, and more. Book your one-on-one session with experienced business owners and media experts. Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, can help you perfect your business pitch to media. Businesswoman Kathleen Griffith, founder of Grayson Company, can help improve your growth and marketing strategies. Need guidance on improving your leadership skills? Elizabeth Gore, president of Alice, can help you become a strong, value-driven leader. So what are you waiting for? Book your one-on-one session with Entrepreneur's lineup of experts today. Visit entrepreneur.com slash mentors. Again, that's entrepreneur.com slash mentors. Listening to Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. And we are back. We are talking with Chris Martin. It's Entrepreneur Weekly Radio. Chris Martin, of course, is the executive chairman of Martin Guitar at the NAMSHA. You you so you see now so many boutique builders. Yep. And I mean it just ignited that business and here we are today where acoustic instruments, and I don't think it's ever gonna go away. Yep. It's just and Martin is still you look at all these, these boutique builders, yeah. and they're basically building vintage yeah. Martins. And what, what we're seeing now, and this will be interesting, is a lot of those folks, mostly men, not all, mm-hmm. got into it right at the time when that boom was a bust. And, and so they, they didn't know how bad it was. 
And they caught it when we did on the way back up. Many of the principals are getting older. For example, we just saw this weekend that Bob and Kurt passed on the operational management of the Taylor Guitar Company to yes. Andy Powers. Yeah. And we're gonna, I think we're going to see more of I've done it. Yeah. I'm executive chairman. Sure. Thomas Ripsom is now the CEO and chairman to help me run my family's business. I have a daughter. She's a CF. Mm, but I'd she's only you. 17. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is pretty exciting. Yeah. But, you know, as I sit here in the Martin booth and I look at some of these designs that were, you know, going back almost 100 yeah, years. Right. Um, still viable. Still viable yeah. and yep. still desirable. Yep. And at least for mo many of the folks I talked to, act, and what did a lot of people do during COVID? Yeah, is oh, they, my gosh. They decided yeah. to, to, like, I've got the time. I want to pick yeah. up the guitar again. And or, we, at the company... When we were shut down by the governor, I said to my colleagues, I said, okay, we don't know what the future is. We need to manage this business for break-even. Because mm -hmm. when, my, when the, the previous boom busted, we, the company went into a loss-making mode. And it's like, that's not a good place for a company to be. No. So we were planning on break-even. And we're, we're talking on the phone. No one's at work. And the salesmen are getting calls from the dealers whose stores aren't opening, open saying, can I get more guitars from you? And we're like, no, we're closed. Why do you want more guitars? Because people are calling or they're on the internet. They want more. It was crazy. Yes. It was crazy. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was remarkable, but it, when, when, in hindsight, it makes total sense. You know? Yep. And I think the advantage, you know, many of us have seen these booms and busts. So I don't think anyone in our industry pulled a Peloton. I right. don't think anyone said, we need to build five more factories. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. Manage it intelligently. And, and guitars, particularly acoustic guitars, they take a while to build. Yes, they do. <laughs> right, yes. And we should mention, as we just have a couple minutes left, the company was founded in 1833 yep. in New York, I believe, yes. correct? But shortly thereafter, you moved to your current location. In Pennsylvania, in and we've been there ever since. Right, yeah. which is another wonderful story. Yep. And is there... I was trying to think as I was walking over here, I, I can't think of a, another similar comparison in terms of family-run companies that are approaching 200 years. Well, you, is there any? Interestingly enough, a friend of mine, when we get together, he goes, you know, Chris, my family business is one year older than yours. Yingling Brewery. Oh, no yep. kidding. And Dick and I are friends. Oh, that's wonderful. We don't, have, we don't share the same politics, but we're friends with each other. Uh -huh. And, you know, when you, you put the two of us together... It's like, wow, there's almost 400 years of family oh business between those two folks. That yeah. is absolutely that remarkable. Amazing? Yeah. And then, of course, the question I must ask, yeah. I assume you start, you, you learn to play guitar oh as, my as a young See, man. That's, so, uh, that's a while ago now, but an author calls me. It's Mr. Martin. Yes, yes, yes. I'm writing a book. Okay, how can I help you? I'd like to interview you. About what? About you and the guitar. I said, you know, my story's different. He said, that's why I want to interview you. So it's called My First Guitar, mostly about famous guitar players, a couple of luthiers, and the punchline, he said, this is a perfect antidote to all the other stories. The punchline is, I don't play the guitar. Oh, my goodness. I know. Oh, my but goodness. But I'm surrounded by good guitar of course. players. Yes, all you of are. whom are opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. And that is the challenge of running a business in this business, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Is everybody is opinionated. Yeah. But, I, you know, you have not unlike... 
classic cars yeah. or the Macintosh or Subaru, you just have this dedicated. I just ordered fandom. a new electric Subaru. Oh, you did? Yep. Oh, oh. <laughs> we have to do a whole other show on All electrics right. because uh, yeah, I'm close to getting an electric myself. I All just right. ordered solar for my home. All so, right. Good, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. But as we wind down, Chris, I can't thank you enough. It oh, is my pleasure. such a pleasure. Yeah. Man, I just, and I've been a fan of Martin Guitar uh, since I learned so to play guitar. Great, great. And, uh, and I'll tell you my sad Martin guitar story that I had to sell. Oh, anyway, afterwards. <laughs> but it's so, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, and sure. folks, thanks for listening and, in. This and has, I'm sorry, go ahead. Now, post-COVID, we're back giving tours at the factory. The oh. museum's open. So if any of your fans are in Pennsylvania, yes. they stop by. And I have not been on that tour. Oh, you I really come. want to. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, folks. Thanks for listening in to Entrepreneur Weekly Radio. That's Mike Etchard here from NAM. We will see you next time. This program is copyrighted by Entrepreneur Media Incorporated.